The Budget Briefing, in association with EY Ireland. This budget is something that is going to be very challenging, notwithstanding where the Irish economy is. The quality of the workforce, in my view, is absolutely paramount. So investment in education is essential. What business will look for is stability and kind of a long-term roadmap here as to how the, the government plans essentially to bring the exchequer finances back into balance and the role that businesses can play in that. Hello and welcome to The Budget Briefing, your guide to Budget 2022 with me, Sorka Corcoran and association with EY Ireland. In this two-part series, I'll be joined by tax experts and economists as we look ahead to and review what the government is planning for the nation's finances next year. Will there be tax cuts and bonuses? What COVID-19 and other supports will remain for Irish businesses? What will happen to our corporation tax rate? And what's in store for us with inflation and energy costs on the rise? There's so much to get through and in a time of great uncertainty. So I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Jim Power, economist and co-host of The Other Hand podcast, plus Kevin McLaughlin, EY Ireland's head of tax, and Annette Hughes, director of economic advisory services at EY Ireland. You're all very welcome to the show. And Jim, before we get into the nitty gritty of it all, perhaps we should start by putting the budget in the context of the revised upward economic projections from last week. The main upgrade to the economic forecast from the Department of Finance involved 2021, uh, because since the economy reopened, uh, there's been a very, very strong rebound in economic activity. And of course, the multinational sector continues to make a very strong contribution. So GDP is now forecast to come in at around 15.6% in 2021, which is very, very strong. Uh, but then if you look at the remainder of the forecast from 22 out to 25, um, small tweaks to that really. So the Department of Finance is looking at, you know, growth of 5% next year, basically slowing down to about 3.5% by 2025. So a steady state economy is forecast in the medium term. Um, the Minister for Finance and the Minister for Public Expenditure Reform both clarified that they these upgrades to the forecast for this year would not influence the budget day deliberations. And those budget day deliberations were set out quite clearly in the summer economic statement back in July. So on budget day, we're expecting an expenditure package of 1 billion, a taxation package of 500 million. And that comes on top of other money that had been pre-committed. But we're really talking about one and a half billion in new measures on budget day. So it's not a significant amount of money, um, but I I guess from the perspective of the Department of Finance, you know, the economic backdrop against which the budget is being presented um, is better than it might have been. You know, the economy is rebounding strongly. Uh, It is reopening steadily, economic activities coming back. Consumer spending is particularly strong. Uh, but the other thing that the department will have to be, or the minister will have to be mindful of, is the very uncertain international backdrop. Um, there's a lot of very worrying things going on in the world economy at the moment. Um, and a lot of this is related to the post-COVID world. There's a legacy issue, a lot of legacy issues. So supply chain problems, for example, energy costs are rising very strongly. Uh, you know, we've seen particularly natural gas highlighted, but oil prices and many other commodity prices are rising strongly. And indeed, um, I heard one commodities trader in New York last week describing this 
as the great financial crisis for the commodity sector. So uh, th that does set a more challenging international backdrop. So I think the Minister of Finance would be correct in sticking to projections that were made for the public finances back in July, um, that based on this resurgence in economic activity, um, they should not go for a more expansionary package. Um, I would definitely advocate a pretty cautious approach to this because, as I said, there's still a lot of legacy stuff from COVID um, that creates a lot of uncertainty. And of course, from an Irish perspective, there is also the spectre of Brexit hanging over the economy still. OK, and I mean, in that context, then, I mean, you know, there are so many areas that need investment and spending. If I could come to you, Kevin, you know, how are the government going to prioritise the areas that need the investment and balance the books in the process? Interesting thing for me, Sorka, I think is going to be to what extent tax is going to have to play a role in the years ahead in terms of bridging the gap in the public finances. And there's no easy answers to that in reality. And I think when you look at this year's budget, I mean, some taxation measures have already been announced. I mean, the, the carbon tax we know is going to increase. That's already committed to. And there's kind of an outline essentially over the next, actually all the years up to 2030 in terms of what those increases will continue to be. There's been changes in local property tax which again were announced over the last couple of months, which again, I think we'll see the take from property tax increase reasonably significantly compared to what it was. And I suppose I, I think there will be, to, to Jim's point, probably modest enough um, tax package of measures to be announced on the day. I think the tonish that probably last week maybe signaled what they might be, which is essentially kind of to, to do with some uh, widening of tax bans, which I think in, in his words was very much around trying to design to keep people able to, to kind of afford uh, an increase in cost of living. And again, so I think they'll be very targeted and I think they'll be modest enough in overall terms. Yeah, and Annette, I mean, inflation is something that is a bit of a concern for many people. And um, the European Central Bank has said this is a transitory thing. But really, in, on a day to day basis, we are all looking at maybe rising electricity costs and in construction, the supplies are costing more. What would you say about inflation and how this can be tackled in the budget? Yeah, and there's no doubt about it, Sarka. Uh, we've seen inflation grow to towards three percent uh, last month in the eurozone. It's it's you know equally high around three point seven percent. We've seen uh, building materials inflation in particular growing very strongly due to various a range of factors. You know, shipping containers have gone up. The cost of just really post pandemic issues around getting the supply chain up and working again, and that's uh, going to impact on the delivery potentially of the NDP and the cost of doing so. So I think um, you know it, uh, this budget is something. Um, that is going to be very challenging, notwithstanding where the Irish economy is, the fastest growing economy in the Eurozone for now two years in a row. I think it's going to be very challenging. The increase in inflation might limit the scope to which the government can start to you know, increase um, taxation, uh, given that inflation is already rising and the cost of living is rising, and there will potentially be pay demands on foot of that, which is a concern for the economy. But you know, as economists, we have to say we have scarce resources. We have to really make our policy choices very, very carefully. We have to ensure we sustain the economic growth going forward. And I think really important for me is that we don't, you know, jeopardize the future generations with high levels of debt. So it's about having 
a medium term sustainable um, economic growth trajectory, trajectory and ensuring that debt is well managed and sustainable over the next number of years. And um, also, I mean, there has been a lot of talk about climate change and considering the environment um, with the NDP, the projects are being assessed based on their impact <coughs> on the environment. I mean, where does this all fit in? It, it, we've quite a juggling act there with, with this issue, um, you know, that we, we, need, we need to consider the fact that we, we might have to use fossil fuels more than we thought and so on. What's your, your take, Annette, on that whole side of things, the climate change question? Yeah, well, you know, we've recently all been listening to the debate around the energy shortage. Uh, we've seen increases in fuel, electricity prices, transport costs, etc. So, but I mean, the climate change is absolutely real. You know, we have the climate action plan. We have climate change targets. We have to, you know, transition to carbon neutrality by 2050. We have to reduce our emissions uh, by 51% by 2030. So, you know, there is a real um, there's a real issue here that has to be solved. We are running out of time. I think the onus is on everybody in the economy, society and individuals to do what they can to address those climate change ambitions. Uh, the government can do it in a number of ways. And I think we're going to, obviously we've seen an increase in the carbon tax. But in EY, for example, we would have published last week our state of sustainability report. And that was quite interesting because it showed that, you know, Companies, industries are very, really see the real responsibility they have now to actually address climate change. And you had 66% were doubtful that they could reach their carbon reductions by 2030. But there was a significant number of Irish companies that were committed to improving their sustainability efforts. So we know, for example, we know that transport generates 20% of emissions and the debate's been going on about, should we incentivize more electric vehicles in the car fleet or should we, you know, disincentivize the use of, of petrol and diesel cars. And that's quite challenging because in some cities and urban areas, you do have alternatives in terms of public transport. In other rural areas where maybe people use their cars more, you don't actually have those alternatives. So it's very much around um, trying to make sure the right policy choices are made, but with always thinking about the targets we have to get to. So the government has quite a balancing act to do, I suppose, as to how it does achieve that. But increasing carbon tax is certainly uh, important. Yeah. And Jim, at the beginning, you touched on the uh, reality on um, that a lot of Irish businesses are going to be dealing with debt going forward. I mean, I think one of the big things we've all had to deal with and businesses in particular is uncertainty. Do you think the government can do anything in the budget to reassure indigenous businesses? And, and, and you know, what would you advise in terms of of the best approach to supporting businesses going forward? Okay, Sorka, um, I, mean, I mean, to me, the priorities in the budget should be guided by number one, you know, we've described how the economy is recovering, but it is a very dual economy. It is a dual recovery. The multinational part of the economy is growing very strongly. The indigenous component is a lot less strong. And indeed, many SMEs are still struggling uh, because business conditions, you know, are only gradually improving. They're still subject to restrictions. And also there is this significant debt legacy post-COVID, um, as in revenue liabilities that were parked 
uh, bank interest charges that were parked. Um, in some cases, um, local authority charges were parked. So there is a significant debt legacy. So I think it's essential that and nothing can be achieved in one budget really, but it is essential that any measures that are introduced do not do damage to the SME sector. So the notion that um, employer PRSI, for example, should be increased or self-employed PRSI uh, to me is a no-go. I think it would be detrimental in the current environment. So I think government needs to do as much as possible to make sure that the environment for recovery for the SME sector is as strong as possible. Uh, COVID-related supports are now obviously being wound down, uh, but given that sort of debt legacy, I think it's essential that the employee wage subsidy scheme um, continues to be afforded to SMEs for the foreseeable future. And indeed, I think some sectors of the SME economy will require that sort of support well into 2022. I think that's important. A third issue is in relation to labour market shortages. Um, I think the PUP needs to be ended immediately. Um, I think the incentive for workers who are not back in the labour force at this stage to come back to work um, has to be as strong as possible, or more importantly, the disincentives to come back have to be removed. So I would like to see some brave decisions being made on the PUP um, immediately. Uh, obviously, the public finances will have to be brought back into order over the next few years. But I think one of the lessons we should have learned from the disastrous mistakes of 10 or 12 years ago is that austerity is not the way to achieve this. And in fact, austerity you know, would prove counterproductive, totally counterproductive, particularly for the indigenous part of our economy. Um, we've got to recognize the challenges to the corporation tax side. Um, you know, mm -hmm. Ireland's multinational model is coming under pressure. To me, it's not the end of the road for it. You know, it's just, it's a bump along the way. But I do think it's essential, given the concentration risk in the Irish economy, that we give a lot more focus and attention, medium and long-term, to the indigenous SME part of the economy. And I guess the final piece is what Inet was talking about there. You know, the, high, the climate change agenda is absolutely essential. But in relation to business and the SME sector particularly, um, my mantra would be do no damage. Yeah. Kevin, what are your thoughts on that? Do you agree with Jim? I think what um, what businesses will, will will look most towards here isn't necessarily specifics. Obviously, they'll have an interest in that. But I think what, what they look for is direction of travel, I think. And I think you used the, the word clarity. I think what businesses want is a long-term view. What businesses need, I suppose, is stability to the extent that that's possible and consistency around decision-making on, on tax policy. So I think what business would look for, I think, in the budget is a sense of what is the long-term plan here uh, if we aren't going down kind of a route of cost cutting slash austerity then you know to what extent is tax going to be expected to bridge the gap to kind of bring the public uh, exchequer finances back into line and and some of that no doubt i think will will come from getting more people back working and and raising employment taxes related to that some of that i think will be around hopefully continued buoyancy in the economy which again will generate economic activity and kind of taxes associated with that but i think what 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 business will look for is stability and kind of a long-term roadmap here as to how the, the government plans essentially to bring the exchequer finances back into balance and the role that businesses can play in that. 
Yeah, and Annette, I mean, one of the sectors that really um, is has become so important is construction. Um, we've mentioned already that the cost of supplies have gone up. Um, you know, we really do need to invest in housing and infrastructure. We have the NDP now being published. Um, can you just share your thoughts on that whole area and, and what can we expect anything in the budget to, again, give more clarity around this? Okay, well, um, the NDP has been published and of course it's a very ambitious programme for infrastructure investment um, over the next decade. Uh, it's not the first NDP to be published. We've had NDPs now for you know the last 30 years. We've been publishing national development plans. I suppose the difference here is that this is a very ambitious program with 165 billion of investment. It's coming at a time when I suppose there's a significant agenda you know, for government with the Housing for All, the Climate Action Plan, and the 165 billion uh, in terms of the NDP. It's coming at a time when we have significant uh, risks around construction inflation, around the building materials supply chain. It's coming at a time when the construction industry, which I think has never been as important as it is today in terms of delivering this NDP. So, um, and you know, it's a very, unproductive sector. It's it's one of the least productive sectors of the Irish economy. It performs very poorly in line with its uh, international comparisons, other countries. So there's a lot of work to do to raise the productivity of the sector to ensure it can deliver those projects efficiently within budget and on time. So um, I think that the challenge really is going to be um, ensuring the construction sector is fit for purpose to deliver on the projects in the NDP. And the budget can do something about that. It can actually, um, I mean, there's talk about measures and there's a lot of work going on with the construction consultation group and the digital uh, innovation and adoption subgroup set up by, by the Department of Public Enterprise and Reform to boost productivity in the sector. And they're talking about, you know, developing a construction technology center to ensure that the industry can, can I suppose, employ more modern methods of construction and, and improve productivity, improve the skill and upskill the workers that are needed to increase the technolo technology in the sector. So the, you know, the, the budget is all about funding. So the budget can fund some of those measures to help boost the productivity of construction to ensure it can deliver the projects, um, as I say, on time and within budget, notwithstanding the significant risks there are out there. But hopefully those inflation risks are short term. And, you know, once the pandemic um, is over and the supply chain is is sorted, those issues might might be sorted also. OK, and we touched on the corporation tax rate at the beginning, um, Jim. I mean, how worried should we be about, about foreign direct investment, bearing in mind this threat over our corporation tax rate and, and the pressure that's on the country to raise it to 15%. Yeah, I mean, the this agenda has really been building um, since 2013, you know, when Ireland was described as a tax haven in the US Congressional Committee in relation to the Apple situation. And the international pressure to reform corporation tax has been building since then. We had the EU's common consolidated corporate tax base. We had the base erosion and profit shifting agenda being driven by the OECD. And that is now starting to uh, materialize in you know, what was agreed by the G7 and the G20 in recent months about the need for a minimum corporation tax rate of at least 
And I also think very more significantly from, our, from an Irish perspective, because an increase in 12.5-15% isn't exactly um, a dramatic deterioration in our tax attractiveness. But I think what is probably more significant for Ireland is the increased move to try and ensure that corporations pay tax in the jurisdiction where the economic activity occurs rather than where the balance sheet resides. And um, in that context, you know, Ireland is very definitely being targeted and it is really difficult to model the impact of these things. They are going to happen. There's no doubt about that. And Ireland can only resist signing up to this deal for so long. We will eventually, and I think pretty quickly, succumb to the pressures and sign up because if we don't, I think the consequences would be a lot more negative. So the government is playing politics on this at the moment, but will roll over and sign up. Um, the, as I say, it's very difficult to model exactly what the impact will be. Um, the Department of Finance is sort of suggesting that it could knock two to three billion offer corporation tax receipts. Last year, we took in 11.8 billion in corporation tax receipts, which was the, the highest level ever collected in this country. We are likely to surpass that level this year. But the biggest mistake the Department of Finance could make, which is a mistake we made in the run up 2007-2008, was to spend aggressively on the back of what could prove a transitory tax base. So I think it's really important that control over public spending you know, is one way of addressing this threat to our corporation tax front. And I think the other challenge, and I think the National Development Plan that was announced earlier this week, um, the budget on the 12th of October, but more importantly, sort of medium term strategy um, has got to focus on the other elements of what makes Ireland an attractive location in which to invest. So infrastructure is really important. The quality of the workforce, in my view, is absolutely paramount. So investment in education is essential. The IT capability and infrastructure is really important. Uh, public services like health, education, all of these other things that make Ireland a location where multinational companies want to invest, that's where the real focus has got to be on now because some of our tax advantage is going to be eroded. So we just work on all of the other areas. And I would like to see that starting in the budget on October 12th. I would like to see the National Development Plan being rolled out as planned. Um, I wouldn't hold my breath on that because when you think about how many different iterations we've seen of various plans like that and of course the other area is housing um, I don't believe we have a housing strategy as a country it seems to change from week to week um, and there's no sense within government that they they're adopting a holistic approach to this problem they keep focusing in on one or two issues the solution to the hot the housing crisis which is an essential part of our competitiveness as well, you know, has got to be multifaceted. It has got to be supply side, demand side, um, yeah. but there needs to be a strategy. Yeah, and Kevin, I mean, I know you have uh, opinions on this as well. Um, what, what do you believe um, in terms of the corporation tax rate that we should be thinking about, and particularly in terms of, you know, what Jim was saying there about we, we shouldn't be spending on the back of, hoping that the, the tax rev, corporation tax revenues will stay the same. 
Yeah, I, I think a couple of things. I think it's it is a it's, it's it's quite a difficult position for Ireland to be in at the moment. I think to be fair, I think over the bulk of the last ten years, Ireland has very much actually responded to you know the initiatives that have been there at an OECD level and at an EU level around reforming of the the international tax um, uh, rules generally. Um, so I don't think Ireland has been in any way kind of a laggard in, in terms of responding to those developments so far. I think you know the, the current developments are quite interesting because there's a lot to play out still. There's huge questions over whether the US, for example, will be able to, to kind of get these proposals over the line legislatively, given how finely balanced things are politically over there. I think there are some issues of principle here. I think one is the fact that, you know, for Ireland, essentially this kind of concept of signing up to a minimum rate of at least 15% certainly leaves the question out there as to whether kind of if, 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 inter, if the international community decides to raise that further, to what extent has Ireland the ability to stick with that? So that I think is a big point of principle for Ireland and I think probably a big sticking point in, in the conversation so far, I, I, you know, I think the kind of the, the one point where I would agree with Jim, I think fundamentally, I think, you know, tax has always played a part in decisions that companies make about locating to Ireland, but it has never been the reason, the only reason. I think the reasons that have been critically important have been around the, the quality and availability of talent. And I think Ireland has done a really good job there of actually having a labour pool, which is not just local, but also across the European Union. And I think things like infrastructure and housing, I think, will become increasingly important. So I think broadly, I think Ireland's competitiveness um, across kind of, let's call it non-tax factors, I think becomes much more important going forward, not just for, for, for international business in Ireland, but also, I think, as Jim says, indigenous businesses and, and to enable their ability to compete more effectively internationally, which they, they obviously have always done to a point. We're going to need to do that, obviously, more and more going forward. So, so for me, I think it, it, it just places that bit more strength on our ability to compete on the non-fiscal reasons why why businesses choose Ireland. And again, it's worth remembering too that, you know, again, there's a long track record of international businesses in Ireland who have operated here quite successfully. The nature of what they've done over the past 40, 50, 60 years has evolved quite significantly. But again, you know, there's a very positive experience for most businesses who, who have a setup in Ireland of, of their experience here. And that's not just tax, that's all of the other reasons why they would choose to, to kind of, you know, build operations here to employ people here as well so and i think because it has always been the case that those factors need to be continually challenged and that we need to challenge ourselves as though we're doing enough to remain fully competitive again because the one thing that won't change regardless of whatever tax policy decisions are taken is that ability to compete internationally with other businesses Indeed. And Annette, I mean, fundamentally, we, we if people are going to move here and we need talent, they need somewhere to live. Um, yeah. you know, and this brings us back to the housing question. Mm. Um, you know, what are your what do you believe about the, the housing strategy? Jim was saying he doesn't feel there is one. Like, what do you think needs to happen? And, and can anything uh, really change or be said in the budget to I suppose, hearten us on this question of, of housing. 
Look, housing has been a challenge. It's probably been the top political focus now and policy issue for the last seven, eight years, really since since the crash, I guess. And we still haven't managed to deliver on it. And we have the Housing for All plan. Again, you know, 34 billion of investment, uh, 33,000 houses per annum, uh, a combination of public and private sector housing. Um, it's very challenging. Will we deliver it? I think, you know, I think it's more about ensuring that the, 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 the barriers that are there to implementation of the plan are addressed. You know, and we have, for example, recently had the announcement that the whole planning process is going to be streamlined and there's a review uh, going on by government at the moment to try and streamline the planning process to ensure that that can be more efficient. But there are other areas in terms of apprenticeship and upskilling to ensure we can you know, deliver the housing. But I mean, it, it's it's as much about um, new housing, but I, I really think there, there's an opportunity here as well to address the existing housing stock. I mean, when we talk about housing, particularly over the last decade, climate change wasn't really on the agenda. But now we have a really serious um, target to deliver in respect of our climate change ambitions. And we know from our research, there are about 90,000 vacant properties around the country. So wouldn't it be great if the government could find some incentive to encourage encourage first-time buyers to um, renovate, refurbish, retrofit those, town, those properties that are in our towns and villages around the country. Perhaps, I mean, they talked about extending the help to buy scheme to, to renovating existing properties. It may not need to be as much as the help to buy scheme, but some incentive which brings people back into our towns and our cities, which delivers on the Project Ireland 2040, which delivers on our retrofitting plans by you know, addressing those 90,000 vacant units, which gives more sustainable development and compact growth in our cities and towns and avoids people going out and building the one-off houses out in the in the rural areas which require utilities and services and water etc so you know that's one certainly area where we could it's a quick solution I think to addressing the housing problem so it's as much about retaining and protecting and refurbishing the existing stock as it is about building new uh, properties but there are a lot of barriers and I think you know as I say the planning the, the, the funding to a lesser extent, but the, the, ups, the skills, et cetera, and the ability and capacity of the industry to deliver those houses. It, it's really, um, you know, it's not an easy fix and there are several, several sides to it and I wish them luck with it. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think we all need a bit of luck at the moment. Um, um, unfortunately, we've run out of time now, but we're going to revisit all of these topics in the second episode to follow up and see what actually has happened in the budget. And, uh, will we have anything to smile about? And uh, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me, Jim, Kevin and Annette. And um, I look forward to discussing everything further in the next episode. Thanks, thank very much, Thanks That's all we have time for, I'm afraid, on this episode of The Budget Briefing. But I'll be back next week with episode two, just after the budget comes out, when Jim and other EY experts will look back on the Minister for Finance's speech and explain what it means for us in the years ahead. Don't forget to rate, review and follow the budget briefing on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Sorka Corcoran and thanks for listening. The Budget Briefing in association with EY Ireland.